Tanisan and the Game of Go Left or right? Left or right? cried Mrs. Terracado as they approached a fork in the road. Left, no, right, answered Mrs. Ishihama, acting on her less than reliable instincts. The selfsame instincts that had once suggested to her that the best way of making a sponge cake taste fresh was by using real sponges. Check the map, urged Mrs. Sekiguchi, who was sitting next to her in the back seat. I can't, cried Mrs. T, frantically pushing every button on the little Honda's satellite navigation system. Tanisan is sitting on it and I can't get her to move. With one hand on the wheel, Mrs. Terracado tried to extricate the road map from beneath the slumbering Tanisan, but only succeeded in making matters worse. Tanisan gave a petulant grunt and turned towards the source of the disturbance, pushing the map behind her with her bottom, so that it was now completely out of reach. In many ways, their current predicament was of her doing. I take that back. It was entirely Tanisan's fault. In order to secure the more comfortable front passenger seat, she had agreed to act as their map reader on the four-hour drive to Lake Chuzenji, where they would be spending a couple of days at a fancy hotel in the resort town of Nikko. Unfortunately, the last time Tanisan had been put in charge of navigation, they'd ended up in a place called Nantwich, which wasn't even in Japan. Nonetheless, her three credulous travelling companions had agreed to give her a second chance, on the condition that she didn't attempt to take them on one of her special shortcuts, and promised not to fall asleep. As you will have no doubt surmised, this made no difference to the actual outcome. Having seen to it that they were hopelessly lost, she'd left them to it. Contrary to their intentions, they were now heading up into the mountains, where visibility was increasingly poor. Not only was it starting to go dark, but the snow was falling so thick and fast that it was difficult to see beyond the bonnet of the little K-car. It kept threatening to stall on the steeper slopes, and at one point even started to slide backwards, taking them perilously close to the sheer drop at the side of the road. When this happened, all three ladies shut their eyes and screamed. This again disturbed the sleeping Tanisan, who looked up and made one helpful remark before falling asleep again. Oh, take a left at the traffic lights, she said. For the next few kilometres, Mrs. Terracado had her work cut out, trying to coax the puny Honda around the series of treacherous hairpin bends. But then Mrs. Sekiguchi caught sight of a strange shimmering glow up in the tree line, so she leant across to rub the side window. Hey! she exclaimed. I think I can see a light. Where? asked Mrs. Terracado, her eyes fixed grimly on the road ahead. Up there, in the forest. Aha, so you've seen them too, have you? said Mrs. Ishihama, nodding wisely. What? said Mrs. Sekiguchi. When did you see them? Oh, about twenty minutes ago. Well, why didn't you say something? asked the furious Mrs. Terracado, who, in spite of being in charge of a moving motor vehicle, looked as though she might reach over to the back seat and give Mrs. Ishihama a good shake. Well, I was going to, but then I thought better of it, said Mrs. Ish. You see, my first thought was that it might denote a convivial hamlet, where we might seek shelter until the weather had cleared. But then I thought, what if it's one of those crafty nine-tailed foxes? What? snapped Mrs. T, gripping the steering wheel so tightly that her knuckles turned white. Well, said Mrs. Ishihama, highly gratified at being afforded this opportunity to air her knowledge. 
When I knew that we were coming here, I took the opportunity to read up on the area and discovered that it is rife with myths and legends concerning the Yakol, mischievous fox spirits that take the form of other creatures and delight in playing tricks on human beings. One of their favourite pranks is to mislead the unwary with the strange balls of fire that they make with their tails or anuses. I can't remember which, although I must say anuses does seem more likely. I see, said Mrs Sekiguchi. And what if it isn't a troop of magical fire-farting foxes? Mrs Ishihama considered this for a moment. Ah, yes, well, there is that, I suppose, she said. This was followed by a short but ominous silence. You're an idiot, came Mrs Terracado's harsh verdict. There are things living at the bottom of my waste disposal unit that have more sense than you. And with that, she pulled over to the side of the road. By that time, the sky had begun to clear and the mountains were bathed in the steely blue light of a full moon, lending their snowy peaks a weird, luminous quality. Pulling up the collars of their winter coats, the three ladies gathered by a snowdrift at the side of the road and looked out towards a broad stretch of firs rising from the mist. There, said Mrs Sekiguchi, pointing to a break in the trees. Can you see it? And sure enough, there was a flickering circle of light casting long wavering shadows among the pines. It's moving, observed Mrs Terracado. It must be a torch or something. Quick, after it, before it disappears. With that, they began trudging through the snow towards the shimmering beacon, Mrs Ishihama trailing some distance behind. Oh, help! she called out. Oh, I say, can you help us, please? We are five vulnerable ladies in peril. Having slept the sleep of the just, or something like it, Tennyson awoke to the grim reality of a freezing car on a lonely road in the middle of the night. Already in grumpy mode, she looked about at her desolate surroundings, yet there was no sign of her three travelling companions, which under any other circumstances would have been a bonus. What's this now? she complained as she rubbed her sleepy eyes. Pulling her fleece around her to fend off the cold, she climbed out of the car and peered into the darkness. Terracada-san? Sekiguchi-san? Where are you? she called out. It was pointless calling out to Mrs Ishihama, who didn't even know what she was, let alone where she was. That said, there was no answer of any sort, aside from the eerie whispering of the wind. She then happened to notice three sets of footprints leading into the woods, two of which proceeded in an orderly fashion, the third less so. Once again, she looked about and took stock of the situation. She was sorely tempted to stay snuggled up inside the car with the heater on full blast. The only problem was that there was nothing to eat in there, apart from one rice ball that someone had sat on. So bracing herself against the icy wind, she began to climb the slope, following in the footsteps of her three friends. She'd only got so far when she spotted a figure on the ridge above her. Tanisan stopped and peered at it for a moment. There was something exceedingly odd in the way that it would just happen to be there, standing with its back to her, its monkish robes fluttering in the wind. Excuse me she said as she approached it from below. Can I ask you one question? Have you seen three probably bedraggled ladies go this way by any chance? At this, the figure turned to present a grinning peasant face. I wouldn't know, it said, because I can't see anything. With that, it passed a hand over its countenance, 
wiping off its features to reveal a blank, egg-like orb of a head. Now, by that stage, not only was Tanisan hungry, but she was also very cold, so she was in no mood for silly games. Yes, yes, very clever, she said. Now, are you going to help me out or not? Sadly, however, the apparition only had this one trick up its sleeve, so it was at a bit of a loss as to what to do next. In fact, all it could think of was to repeat the performance, first replacing its features with one pass of its hand, only to wipe them off again with another, just in case Tanisan had missed it the first time. Tanisan gave a weary sigh, now convinced that she was dealing with an idiot. Never mind, she said, I'll ask someone else. She then proceeded to follow the footsteps into the forest, but had only gone so far when she saw an old lady making her way through a clearing some distance ahead. Squat and bent, the crone was almost completely concealed by a thick woolen headscarf and a ragged kimono, while on her back there was a wicker basket full of brushwood. Uh, sorry to trouble you, said Tanisan, as she finally caught up with her, but I'm looking for my three friends, or rather, two friends and one root vegetable. I'd just try asking that silly monk back there, but his idea of being helpful was to grin inanely and delete his facial features, though I'd be the first to admit that it was something of an improvement. Oh, said the old woman, who then proceeded to unwind the wrappings from her own head. Was it like this? As it turned out, her face too was smooth, round and entirely featureless, apart from the mouth, which invited comparison with the baby's bottom hole. Yes, yes, said Danisan, now quite irritated. Exactly like that. I'm guessing that the two of you are having a good old laugh at the gullible tourist. My goodness, what does a person have to do to get a straight answer around here? Just then, there came a third voice. Are you having the same trouble as I was, it said. Oh no, not you again, grumbled Tanisan, when it turned out to be the monk from her previous encounter. Yes, said the old woman, with a nod of her blank noggin. She doesn't seem to be scared at all. I can't understand it. Not scared, said another voice, but all humans are scared of Yokai. Not this one, apparently, said the monk, rather peevishly. Tanisan took in this other speaker as it came bouncing out of the forest. Essentially, it was just a head, an enormous human head, about two metres across, with a great bushy beard and a mouthful of razor-sharp teeth. Well, I've never seen anything so unlikely in all my life, it said, looking Tanisan up and down. Suchigomo, Ipondatara, there's a human out here who's not afraid of Yokai. Come and take a look at her. There was a rustle in the undergrowth, and then two other equally bizarre creatures emerged from the shadows. First, a gigantic spider covered in brown hair, followed by what I can only describe as a leg, a hairy human leg, with one saucer-shaped eye at kneecap level. And when they saw Tanisan standing her ground, they too were amazed and called others like them. Well, no, not like them exactly, but you know what I mean. Pretty soon, a crowd of very strange things had gathered around her. Why does this sort of thing always happen to me, complained Tanisan, staring back at the gawking multitude. All I wanted to do was to get off this stupid mountain and check into my hotel for some well-deserved pampering. So instead of standing there like a bunch of gormless novelty items, why don't you do something to help me? Why aren't you scared of us, human? asked a little red-eyed samurai. Would it help if I was? asked Tanisan. 
The samurai looked about at its colleagues and gave a shrug. It might, it remarked optimistically. All right, then, she said. Ooh, I'm scared. I'm very, very scared. But you're not, are you? said a bluish-white orb of light. OK, so I'm not scared, admitted Danisan. I'm cold and I'm tired and I'm very, very hungry. Where does that leave us? This was met by a bemused silence from all those concerned. You see, said Tanisan, you have no idea, do you? That's the trouble with you, yokai. Like all bogeymen, you only do the one thing and even that's pointless. Well, that's a bit rude, remarked the little samurai. Is it? said Tanisan. In that case, perhaps you would care to enlighten us as to how the world is enriched as a result of your endeavours. Well, said the pint-sized warrior, who was very pleased to be sharing his story with the group, I sneak into people's bedrooms when they're asleep and flip their pillows. Sorry, said Tanisan, I don't think I heard you correctly. I thought you said flip their pillows, but it can't be that. Yes, yes, I flip their pillows, repeated the proud little spirit. When they wake up in the morning, they find their pillows at the other end of the bed. Yes, said Tanisan. Well, I can see how that would be absolutely terrifying. And how about you, whatever you are? She turned her attention to a hairy, shapeless thing, which seemed to hold a special attraction for flies. Oh, no, you don't want to bother with him, said a white ox. He's horrible. Yes, said the snake-headed turtle. Leave him out of it. There's nothing to be gained from that quarter. No, no, said Tanisan. Let's hear him out. So come on, Mr Stinky, what's your story? The article in question was the Canabari Nudo, which had a voice like a very deep drain, with something nasty sloshing about in the bottom of it. That said, it punctuated its utterances with the call of a cuckoo for some reason. Well, it said, I hang around the toilets. Good start, said Tanisan. Yes, yes, said the KN. I hang around the toilets, spying on people. Cuckoo. And if I get to lick them, they end up suffering from bowel-busting constipation. A charming tale, said Tanisan, which I think proves my point. I mean, what on earth is the purpose of that? It's so niche. That's a bad example, protested a small but angry leaf spirit. I imitate the creaking sound of wooden beams. Yes, said Tanisan. Well, I hate to break it to you, but we've got actual wooden beams that can do that. Well, what about me? said a purple thing with scissors for hands. I jump out of the shadows and cut people's hair off. Again, said Tanisan, I think you'll find that there's already a surplus of highly competent and reasonably priced hairdressers. Ah, but they don't jump out of the shadows, do they? No, said Tanisan, that's true. You could definitely clean up there. And now all at once, Tanisan was bombarded by similar appeals from other anxious yokai who suddenly felt the need to justify their existences. But just then, a solitary voice rang out. Silence, all of you, it boomed, its thunderous dictate reverberating among the peaks. At this, the hullabaloo instantly ceased, and the ragbag group of yokai parted down the middle, allowing a large female fox to come padding through. Sleek and white, she had the unusual distinction of possessing nine tails, as if her conspicuously unfox-like ability to speak human languages was insufficient to distinguish her from other members of her species. 
Slowly, and with a sort of graceful insouciance, she ambled up to Tennyson and fixed her with a cruel amber eyes. Who are you, small human who knows no fear? she asked. Tannisan, said Tannisan, both boldly and accurately. Hmm, mused the vixen. I know this name. Legend speaks of a Tannisan who has declared war on the Emperor of the Sea, generally upset people, and put all of heaven in a rage. Yes, said Tannisan, puffing herself up a bit. Well, that certainly sounds like my resume. Who are you? It was at this point that her opposite number decided to reveal her true form. So then Tanisan found herself toe-to-toe with a tall, imperious-looking woman dressed in the manner of a lady of the Heian period, a lithe enchantress with long black hair, luminous skin and high cheekbones. They were the same cruel amber eyes, though. You may know me as Tamamonomai, Queen of the Yako, and by far the most terrible of the three most terrible yokai of Japan. Yes, said Tanisan, well, that's pretty terrible. In my time, said the queen, I have seduced emperors and kings, laid waste to dynasties, tortured thousands and committed numerous horrors too vile to mention in polite company, especially if there are minors or persons of a nervous disposition present. If you are the one you claim to be, you will already know this. At first, Tanisan was a bit unsure as to what she meant by that. She could only assume that the Queen was referring to her junior high school writing project. The students had been asked to write an essay entitled The Person I Most Admire, so Tanisan had chosen the mass-murdering psychopath who had only just presented her credentials. However, if she remembered rightly, the piece she'd written had actually been quite critical. She could only hope that the Fox Queen didn't know about that. Unfortunately, this was not the case. Not only did Tamamonomai know about it, she even had a photocopy of the original document, which she then whipped out from the sleeve of her kimono. You said, and I quote, she began, in the final analysis, Tamamonomai, for all her excesses, was a rather conventional woman who suffered from a pitiful lack of imagination. Instead of using her powers to do something worthwhile, she was far too preoccupied with beating men at their own games. What is more, the stories of her beauty are much exaggerated, judging from the woodcuts of the time. At best, it can be said that she was not bad. With that, the angry yokai slid the offending document back up her sleeve. So by that token, she concluded, you must think that you're better than me. Which actually implies that you must think that you're better than me, said Tanisan, with equal swagger. Which only goes to prove that you actually believe that you're better than me, said Tamamonomai, vainly attempting to outswagger Tanisan's retaliatory swagger. In any event, it may interest you to know that our meeting here tonight was no accident, which makes me very clever, I think. I have followed your career with interest, and now the time has come to settle the matter of who is best once and for all. What I propose is a contest of skill and strategy, and what would be more appropriate than a game of go? 
Yet another game invented by men, unless I'm very much mistaken, remarked Tanisan provocatively. She's right there, came a voice from the sidelines. It belonged to the Ipondatera, the hairy leg yokai with one eye. In fact, he went on, there are those who say that it was invented by Emperor Yao to instruct his son in the art of war. It is also mentioned in the Analects of Confucius as... At this point, Tamamonomai spun round and red laser beams shot from her eyes, instantly vaporising the unfortunate uniped. Doesn't matter who invented it, she snapped. It's a good game. Yes, and so is Tiddlywinks, said a dim-witted ogre, who was only trying to be supportive, yet the Queen whipped round and zapped him too. Good point, she said, but I think we'll stick with Go if it's all the same to you. Any more suggestions? But of course, all the other yokai kept stum, not wanting to go the same way as the cyclops and the ogre. Good, said the demoness. Then turning back to Tanisan, she smiled dangerously. Now, she continued, here are my terms. If I win, or perhaps I should say, when I win, you will never leave this forest and be forced to do my bidding, which will include agreeing with everything I say and cleaning out my bathtub with your tongue like a squalid jeeves. If, on the other hand, you win, which, as we both know, is as likely to happen as a shower of pickled walruses, I will lead you safely out of this forest. And I want cakes, said Tanisan, who was still very hungry. What? A large amount of all sorts of cakes, said Tanisan. Very well, agreed Tamamonomai. There shall be cakes. So terms were agreed on, and they got to it. There was a tree stump close to where the ladies were standing, so Tamamonomai went over to it and passed her hand over its surface, at which point it magically transformed into a go-board. She then picked up a small rock and rubbed it between her hands. As she did so, a cascade of smooth white stones came tumbling out from between her fingers. She then did the same with a second rock, and this time the stones were black. As the challenger, it was Tanisan who would get to make the first move, so she took up her position on the black side of the board. The queen seated herself opposite on the white. Then all of the other yokai who had been watching from the sidelines moved in closer to observe the proceedings. The only difference was that they had all reverted to their true forms, magical, fire-farting foxes, just as Mrs. Ish had foreseen, with sharp teeth and many tails and savage eyes that glinted in the darkness. Any player other than Tanisan would have found their noisy snuffling and bad breath quite off-putting. Supremely confident in her imminent victory, Tamamonomai gazed steadily at her opponent. Yet the smug smile was wiped clean off her face by Tanisan's first move. Having spent some time gazing thoughtfully at the board, she suddenly reached out and grabbed a handful of black stones. Ready, steady, go, she said. Then, and with as much speed as she could muster, she proceeded to place one stone in each of the squares on the bottom row of the grid. However, she'd only got a third of the way along when her astonished opponent put out a hand to stop her. Whoa, whoa, said the Queen. What are you doing? Playing the game, said Tanisan. Well, it's certainly no game that I've ever come across. In fact, the only connection between what you're doing and the actual game of Go is you shouting the word Go. 
So stop messing about and do it properly. Just a minute, said Danison. Are you telling me that you want me to start again? Yes, said the Queen. Of course, start again. Tanisan gave a weary sigh and took off all of the black stones that she'd just put down. Are you ready this time? she said once the board was clear. Ready, said Tamamonomai, squaring up to the stump. OK, said her opponent. Here we go then. Ready, steady, go! She then did precisely the same thing as before, placing one stone in each of the squares on the bottom row of the grid. I can't believe it! You're doing it again! exclaimed the Queen. You told me to do it again, said Tanisan. Yes, but not like that. Play go! I am playing go, said Tanisan. What do you think I'm doing? Ready, steady, go! And with that she was off again, filling in the squares at top speed. Stop it! said Tamamonomai. Just, just stop doing that! What is it now? complained Tanisan, looking across at her. Tamamonomai took a very deep breath, clasped her hands together and closed her eyes. OK, she began in her calmest, most reasonable voice. What, in your opinion, is the objective of this game? You mean to say you don't know, said Tanisan. I wish you'd told me that in the first place. Of course I know, exploded the demoness. I was asking you what you think. Well, said Tanisan, who knew only too well what the objective of the game was. I have to fill in all these little boxes on my side, and you have to fill in all those little boxes on your side, and whoever crosses the halfway mark first is the winner. Tamamonomai gave a scornful grunt. Oh, I see, and that's go, is it? The game that's tacked some of the greatest minds the world has ever known. Filling in the boxes, that's all there is to it. And getting past the halfway mark added Tanisan brightly. There is no halfway mark, said Tamamonomai. If there was, it would be shown on the board. How? asked Tanisan. Well, how should I know? With a chequered flag giving the way you're playing it. Go is a game of skill and intellect. You're supposed to consider your position carefully and anticipate your opponent's move. With that, she suddenly grabbed a handful of her own stones and began setting them out by way of demonstration. Look, she said, the first thing you have to know is that you're supposed to take turns. And you don't put the stones in the squares as you're doing. It's not chess. You place them on the intersections. The actual objective is to surround more territory than your opponent. But you can also capture his or her stones by encircling them. Is that clear? Yes, said Tanisan. So you understand everything I've just told you? Yes, said Tanisan. And you're going to play it properly from now on? Yes, said Tanisan. Good, said the Queen, who nonetheless continued to regard her opponent with suspicion. Go ahead then, make your move. Ready, steady, go, went Tanisan. And once again, she began populating the board with black stones. Oh, God, exclaimed the vexed Yoka. This is worse than the tortures of hell. Stop it, stop it, I said. You're still not playing properly. But this time, Tanisan would not stop, and before long, she'd completed the second row. You'd better hurry up, she warned. The longer you leave it, the more catching up you'll have to do. Absolutely not, said Tamamonomai, refusing to participate. If you're not going to play it my way, I am certainly not going to play it yours. But this made no difference as far as Tanisan was concerned. 
play or don't, she shrugged. It's all the same to me. Either way, I win. But it's not a viable game if the players can't agree on how to play it, protested the Queen, who, for all her resolve, was finding it very difficult to remain detached. I know, said Danisan, although that didn't seem to bother you so much when you were trying to get me to play it your way. Oh, look, she teased, I'm already on the fourth row. And so she went on placing stones, making her way along the fourth, the fifth, even the sixth row. Ah! shrieked Tamamonomai, who was now starting to get quite overwrought. That's enough! Stop it! I command you to stop doing that this instant! But Tanisan just ignored her and carried on. Oh yes, she taunted, I'm definitely going to win at this rate. And if you can't beat me at this stupid game, what chance have you got when it comes to more sophisticated ones? Now this was like a red rag to a bull as far as Tamamonomai was concerned, for she could not afford to lose face, especially with all of her subjects watching. And so grabbing a handful of white stones, she too began to fill in the boxes, but at a speed that only a demon was capable of. With both of them going at it like the clappers, it wasn't long before the gap began to close. By the time Tanisan had begun her ninth row, Tamamonomai was on her eighth, and yet thanks to her considerable head start, Tanisan just managed to beat her across the halfway mark by a margin of two stones. Yay! she went, throwing up her arms in triumph. There then followed a very un-Japanese victory dance, which involved a lot of disco-style finger-pointing and shaking of the hips. This met with a stunned silence from all those foxes gathered around the tree stump. Then all at once they began to howl. She has tricked you, your majesty, said a large animal with five tails. You are the victim of a cruel prank. Demand a rematch whispered the shifty-eyed specimen who was the Queen's advisor. You cannot be seen to lose in front of your people. Better still, make it the best of three. However, Tamamonomai took no notice of their angry protests. Instead, she continued to study the disposition of the stones, mentally replaying the sequence of events that had led to this denouement. Gradually, her expression changed. The troubled frown vanished from her features, to be replaced by a faint smile as if she'd finally grasped the essence of some new mischief, which would go some way towards making other people's lives just a little bit more difficult and unpleasant. No, she then said with an air of finality, the human has won, and in so doing has shown us a way of winning all games, thus rendering the Yako unassailable. So as a sign of our gratitude, we shall respect the outcome. With that, she rose majestically from the board, pulled her sumptuous silk kimono around her, and reverted to her fox form. Transformation complete, she advanced towards Tanisan. Come, quite small yet breathtakingly impertinent human, urged the shapeshifter. It is time for you to leave. Just a minute, what about my many cakes? asked Tanisan, who as usual was as immovable as a gatepost. Ordinarily, anyone who had dared to speak to the Queen like that would currently be rising up into the air in the form of a fine spray. However, on this occasion, the vixen merely peered at Tanisan in a way that was quite forbidding, but they did not actually involve laser beams. Fear not, infuriating germ-like creature, she said. I have not forgotten my promise. But don't push it. Now climb onto my back and hold tight. So Tanisan clambered onto the back of the great she-fox, and they were off 
galloping through the forest with the other yakko running alongside. Across streams they went, through snow-capped valleys rigid with hoarfrost, and all the time Tanisan clung on to the vixen's fur, a great grin on her face, for she'd never expected it to be so much fun racing with the foxes. Eventually, the ground started to level out, and they found themselves on the road to Nikol. Tanisan dismounted gracelessly and looked about by the light of an early dawn. Then she reached out to pat the queen on the head, as she would a pet dog. Don't, warned Tamamonomai. Suit yourself, said Tanisan. I would say it's been a pleasure, but I think we both know there's more fun to be had sucking porridge through a straw. With that, she pulled up the hood of her fleece and crossed over to the other side of the highway. Well, there she goes, remarked the queen to her adviser, as they watched Tanisan head down the slope towards the outskirts of town. What may well be one of the greatest tactical geniuses the world has ever seen. Just then, Tanisan slipped on an icy patch and fell headlong into a snowdrift. Very quickly, though, she scrambled to her feet and brushed herself off. Or maybe not, said the Fox Queen. Some time later, Messrs Sekiguchi, Terracado and Ishihama were airlifted off a craggy peak by Mountain Rescue. Having then undergone a lengthy medical examination, during which the most impertinent questions were asked, they were taken to their hotel. Naturally, their immediate concern was for their missing friend. Imagine their surprise then when the desk clerk informed them not only was Tanisan safe and well, but that she'd actually checked in several hours before. Rushing up to her room on the third floor, they found her relaxing in front of the TV, having just spent the last hour or so luxuriating in a hot bath. Pink and shiny, she was wearing one of the hotel's complimentary bathrobes, along with a huge white turban fashioned from a towel. Far more astonishing than that, however, was the fact that every surface in the room was occupied by cake, even the carpet. Lemon cake, chocolate cake, fondant fancies, whoopie pies, German Baumkuchen, Milföl, Tartata, just about every type of pudding pie or pastry you could imagine. Indeed, Tanisand had only just set aside a plate of Dorset knobs in order to enjoy an extra-large slice of double-layered cranberry ginger upside-down cake, when she suddenly caught sight of her three haggard companions standing in the doorway, gawping at her. What? she said. 